How's everybody doing here? Good. We're right at 50 today. Good for us. A couple weeks in a row, we're right there. Good. Um, we are in 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11. So if you want to turn to your Bibles there. We're working our way through this book of 1 John. It's a message from John, most likely, to those... Wow, it feels quiet. Everybody say good morning, just so it feels louder in here. Okay, that's good. All right, thank you very much. Uh, that's the one thing I miss the most. I mean, I love U50, obviously, but, but it's nice to have the whole group here and kind of the interactive energy. But anyway, we'll, we'll work through that, and eventually we will be back. Um, John's writing this letter most likely to the seven churches that you read about in the first part of Revelation. Most people think he's writing it from the Isle of Patmos about the same time. Uh, very different book than Revelation, obviously. Um, about 50 to 60 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And, and I want you to remember every week as we go through it, we got one more weekend at next week. What he said at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 3, he said, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that, there's a reason he's writing, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That Greek word fellowship is koinonia, and we've talked about how, I mean, I grew up with the fellowship potluck church, uh, church dinner. My, my church was fellowship church when I grew up, and we, you know, we had great potlucks, but I didn't really understand beyond that this idea of, of koinonia as actually participating in the life of God. And I've, I've used this icon, I've shown it a few times, this Rublev's icon that's used to teach about the Trinity. Have you got a picture of that up there, Reed? It's coming? Yeah. And, and it's this idea of, of, of one God in three people. But I love this picture because what it does is it puts them around the table and there's an open spot for us to join in. And that's the idea of actually coming to God through Christ and by the Spirit is that we can actually join around the table and, and be a part of this life that's shared among the Trinity and love that's shared among the Trinity. We are actually sitting at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together. That's what koinonia is. And so we're going to pick up today with, with verse 11 of chapter 3. We're going to read to uh, the end of chapter 4. And you're going to see John bounces around to a lot of different ideas in this section. But there's one thing he repeats over and over, which is kind of the main theme. And I think you'll hear it if you just listen or follow along as we read. 1 John 3.11. This is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This sin is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is the command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Now, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and, him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to, the world, to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, you see... Well, let me just ask, did you pick up on a theme? Was there a repeated word there a few times? Yeah? It's love, right? And more specifically, the link between love and fellowship. That's what he's driving at. Uh, remember, John's writing to help us have this koinonia, this participation, this fellowship with the Father and the Son and with each other. And, and two times in his book, he says, this is the message. The first time, he says, this is the message, God is light, because he's saying, I want you to realize that one of the keys to fellowship is this walking in the light, which we talked about a few weeks ago. The second time he says, this is the message, is here in, in verse 11 of chapter 3, that we should love one another, and love is linked to fellowship. And then he goes on to talk about Cain, right? <laughs> which I, I kind of laugh, because you think about, just, just play this out in your mind. He tells you to love one another and don't be like Cain who killed his brother right that's not loving right isn't that a little how many of you really struggle with that you know I really want to love my brother just got, I'm going to kill him I know I'm going to kill him any minute why is John writing that why does he why does he use that as an example why does he say you should love one another like don't be greedy don't don't refuse to forgive he says don't kill your brother like Cain 
Why is he using that example? Well, I think what he wants them to see, if you, if you kind of dig into the wording in that story, love is, is, is a diagnostic tool. When you have your engine light come on in your car, right? You pull up to the mechanic and they plug this thing in there, this magical, wonderful tool, and they push the button and it tells them what error code, what's going wrong in your motor. It's a diagnosis of what the problem is. And, and John's saying the love that we have for each other or the love that we don't have for each other is a diagnostic tool to let us see the state of our own hearts. He says, Cain didn't love Abel because Abel's deeds were good and Cain's weren't. It wasn't a personality conflict. It wasn't that they just didn't get along. It was the fact that the way Abel lived his life helped Cain's life be exposed. And that's why he goes on in verse 13. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. He's not saying you, you guys need to be just jerks so that the world hates you. Or, you know, if you're, you're only a good Christian if everybody hates you. But he says if you actually live in the fellowship of the Trinity, if love is such a predominant characteristic of your life because you're in fellowship, it's going to reflect other people's lives to them. And there's going to be animosity there. It's going to happen. And so love becomes this diagnostic tool to look at our own hearts. If we aren't loving, we aren't living in fellowship with God. He, he amplifies that down in verse 19 of chapter 3. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest when our hearts condemn us. If we love each other, it's a di it helps us understand the state of our own heart. Now, he's not saying, I want you to try harder to love. He's not saying you just need to love more. That's what you need to do. You've got to love harder. What he's saying is, um, if you love God, if you're in that fellowship of the Trinity, love is what happens. So when you look at your life and you're not seeing love happen, if you're holding grudges, if you've got these, these anger against other people, it's because you're not in fellowship. You're not sitting at the table. Dorothy Day, the Catholic worker, said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Mm. I don't know if that hurts you, but that, that kicks me right in. I really only love God as much as the person that I love the least. And I, you know, you feel the sting of that if you're honest with yourself, unless we've got some saints here. I mean, you're all saints in biblical terms, but I mean some people that are way above the rest of us. And I want you to feel the sting of that, but don't feel it as condemnation. Feel it as conviction. Realize if there is someone in your life that you really do not love, you need to think about that. Because what, what that's saying is you're not, you're not sitting at the table and drawing that divine life into yourself. It's a diagnostic tool. And how, how can we know then what, how do I know if I'm loving somebody? Well, what does love look like? Well, John says right in between those two sections that, that Christ is the prototype. In verse 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. He knew you were going to ask that question. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. He's saying this is a tangible example. Jesus is an example of what love looks like. You want to know if you love your brother? Are you willing to let go of what you want and lay it down for your brother or your sister? If you're not, that's not loving them. And he, he, he spells it out a little further. It's a tangible example, one that hits you right between the eyes or maybe right in the wallet. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? See, our tendency is to love in words, to love from a distance to love theoretically. And what he's saying is real love is tangible. It's Jesus laying down his life for us. It's you, if you have and someone needs, you actually giving to meet that need. 
Verse 18 of 3, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions or in the truth. And see, he says, you've even got to catch the wording because he's talking still about this trinity, this fellowship, because he says, if someone sees his brother in need and doesn't have pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He's not talking about us practicing some concept of love. He's talking about sitting at the table where the love that flows from the Father to the Son to the Spirit flows through us, the love of God in us. And because we're in fellowship, it comes out of us. And that's why he moves on in chapter 4 to talk about testing the spirits. To me, that also, when I first read it, I'm like, why do you cover that here? Why, why now? Why, why talk about, te- dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. But John, you're talking about love. Why, why do you go here? And, and it's because he says, you know, Jesus is the, pro- the, the Christ, the Messiah, is the prototype of love, but Jesus is that connection to the love. And what he's saying is, the spirit will point you back to Jesus as Jesus was, the Son of God come in flesh. And the problem in John that he's writing about is that people are denying that Jesus has actually come, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's saying that's, that's such a vital part of this table fellowship, the, the Father, the Son, incarnate, the Spirit, that if you deny that, you're going to miss it. If, if, if you don't see that Jesus in the flesh is where love is spelled out clearly, you're going to miss the whole point. And again, you, you see the Trinity. He says the Spirit will show you the Son, and the Son came to demonstrate the love of the Father. It's all one package there. See, love isn't some nice idea or some concept, something that Hallmark makes a lot of money off of. It's a tangible expression of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. And and fellowship, this participation in the divine life, I mean... It's a stupid visual, but in my, in my head, I, I, you know how you string Christmas lights together? You know, you got Christmas lights to go around your tree, and, and at the end of one, you've got that plug, and you plug the next one into it, and it brings power. To me, the Father, Son, Spirit are these, it's, it's one strand of lights, but there's this place where we can actually unplug and step in and plug us in. And that divine life and love actually, that flows through the Trinity, actually starts flowing through us. But what what John wants you to see in this section is that in that table fellowship, in that participation, love is the defining characteristic. Yeah, 1 John, love is a theme for sure. 103 verses, love is used 43 times in 103 verses. So almost half the verses have the word love in them. But in our section we read today, 34 verses, guess how many times love or loved or loves is in there? 34 verses, 34 times. That's his theme. He wants to get a point across. Love is what is shared between the Father, Son, Spirit, and anyone that comes to the table. He wrote back in his gospel, quoted Jesus, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? If you... Okay, you know it. Say it through your mouth. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you love one another. Right? This is how people will know you're sitting at the table because you're loving just like the Father and the Spirit and the Son love. It's the defining characteristic. And in chapter 4, verse 7 on, that's what he really hits on the whole time. And and some key things. First, he says, love starts with God. It starts with God. There's no way to miss this point if you read it. Just listen 7 to 11 of chapter 4. Dear friends, love one another 
for love comes from God. It starts with Him. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Where does it start? It starts with Him. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, you can't miss the point that it starts with God. It, just in case you do, in 419, He says, We love because He first loved us. It starts with Him. In his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, Ravi Zacharias tells a story about a little girl that gets lost in the woods. She's out walking. She gets lost in the woods. Her parents are terrified. They form a search party. It's late in the evening. They search until it's too dark to search anymore. Can't find her. They go back, and the, of course, the parents lay awake all night. First thing, first sun up, the father runs out. He's back in the woods looking for his daughter, and he comes around a corner, and there she is, sound asleep on this big flat rock. And so he calls her name, and he runs to her, and she wakes up startled, and then she just jumps up into his arms, and she says over and over and over, Daddy, I found you. Daddy, I found you, right? And, and we all know she didn't find him. He found her, right? But she's so relieved. And so many times when we think about love and love of God or for God, we somehow think it starts with us. My dad used to always say about my mom, i got to get this right. He would always say, she chased me until I caught her. And, and the point was, he didn't have a chance, right? But he, he liked to believe she was chasing him until he actually caught her. And I, I think we think that with God, right? We chased him, or we, we love him, and he loves us. And we get that so mixed up that, that love starts with us. His love for us is not in response to us, to our love or our devotion or our service or our actions or our knowledge. Love starts with God. And if love is initiated from God, then our role, if it's initiated from Him, if it starts from Him, our role is not to earn it. Our role is to receive it. Right? If it starts with us, we earn it. We're doing something to get Him to love us. But that's not what John says. It starts with Him. And in receiving it from God, we are shaped to love the same way. As we move into that table and receive that love, all of a sudden that love that's accepted us flows out of us. He says in verse 11, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. As you got invited to the table, you didn't deserve to be here. How can you dare keep other people away from this table? If you realize the gift you've been given in the love of God, you share it. And that's why he says in, in verse 12 of chapter 4, love is the evidence of the divine life in us. Look at 4 verse 12. We know that we live in Him and he in us, because he has given us, oh, no, wrong verse. No one has ever seen God, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, we, we in our Western mindset, that we, we're so practical and tangible. We don't get, we don't think in mystical, spiritual terms. What he's actually saying is, when we love, when we receive that love and we give it to other people, God actually lives in us. He inhabits us. So love is this evidence that the divine life is actually, that we're actually plugged into the lights, that it's flowing through us. It's participation in the divine life. And, and guess what that does? You know what it does? 
is it incarnates God into the world all over again. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because we are the flesh that walks through the world housing the life and love of God. God is in the flesh in us. That's how we live out into the world. And, and the way we maintain that, and talk about mystical thinking or different thinking, it, John says love actually enfolds us into the Trinity. Love is what brings us to the table. Just look at the wording in verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The spirit is bringing us in. He's letting the life of God flow into us. And then in verse 14. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And it says in verse 15, if we acknowledge that, if we can believe that whole process, God lives in us and we in God. Which leads us to my favorite probably verse of the whole scripture. Verse 16, we, we've come to know and rely on the love of God. That's, once you come to know on it, know the love of God, once you come to experience it and trust it, you actually rely on it. As you receive the grace of God humbly and freely, the love of God by grace, the Spirit helps you see the Father and the Son. You begin to join in that whole circle. It's so ethereal to talk about divine, divine life flowing through you. But it's what, it's what Paul was saying when he said, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about actually being filled with, with divine life and love and power and the presence of God inside of us. That love brings us by the power of the Holy Spirit to the table. And I want to I finish today just by looking at what it means to be sitting at the table with the Trinity. It all comes back to this connection with Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and I hesitate to talk about the Trinity because we make it... Anybody get the Trinity? Anybody figure it out? Anybody understand? Anybody? Most of the time we, we acknowledge it. The Trinity's there. We know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we don't know what it means to my everyday life. I mean, how do I understand it or grasp it or actually apply it? Britannica online will say this. Trinity, in Christian doctrine, is the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in the one Godhead. The doctrine of the Trinity is considered to be one of the central Christian affirmations about God. It's rooted in the fact that God came to meet Christians in a threefold figure. As creator, Lord of history of salvation, Father, and judge, as revealed in the Old Testament... As the Lord who, in the incarnated figure of Jesus Christ, lived among human beings and was present in their midst as the resurrected one. And number three, as the Holy Spirit, whom they experienced as the helper or intercessor in the power of the new life. There is nothing I disagree with in that. That's a great definition of the Trinity. But John's not writing to give you a definition of the Trinity. He's not writing to help you understand the Trinity. He wants you to experience the Trinity. I think of times in my life... When people get married, they think they know what marriage commitment is. I know what a marriage commitment is. How many of you knew what a marriage commitment is before you got married? Then you get married and you understand, right? You experience it. Same, same with the loss of a loved one. I, I know what it's like to lose someone I love. I, I can see that. You don't see them anymore. That's so sad. And then you lose someone you love and you know it differently. Or you have a child, right? Remember my dad saying, son, you'll never know what it's like till you hold them in your hands. I was like, oh, yeah, you're just old. <laughs> you don't know what I know. I can imagine. And then I hold them in my hands. I'm like, oh, he was right. It's just so different. And John's not writing to tell you about the Trinity. He's writing because he wants you to experience the Trinity. 
That's why Jesus would say, go and make disciples in, in Matthew 28, 19, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's something about this Trinity that we are brought into in our baptism. John wants sitting at the table with the Trinity to be a part of your everyday experience. That's why Paul would end 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's, he's trying to let you see this is not some theological concept. This is how we actually live our lives. So what does it mean to sit at the table, to share that divine life? Well, first thing, it's a culture of self-giving love all the time and I, that word culture is a really nebulous concept culture shapes us right Teeson family sitting right there Teesons have a family culture they do things in the Teeson's family really weird no I'm just kidding but it's different than other families right every family has a culture yesterday we had a zoom wedding shower for Becca and all my siblings and all their kids and grandkids and my mom are all and and I realized there's a family culture here there's something about the way we do family that shapes us, that shapes our actions, you know? Uh, who would say that Canadians and Americans are a bit different, right? Canadians and Americans are very different. They have a whole different culture and a different way of approaching things, a different way of thinking. And, and culture is a powerful force. When I first started coaching basketball 12 or 13 years ago, the girls' basketball program at Hope was suffering from, from a culture of losing. Now, I'm not Believe me, I facilitated that culture of losing for many, many years. And I'm not saying that losing is the worst and winning is all that matters. But you know what? What I realized was the girls did not expect to win. But they were surprised when we won. There was a culture, uh, and, and they brought that culture of losing to the amount of effort they put in practice, to their expectations for what might happen, to the way they viewed themselves. And so some of the other coaches and I, we started talking about how can we change that culture? And we began to work at things. We began to try to de define uh, who we were different ways. And we would, it was up to the coaches to live that out and the language that we used. And, and we, we celebrated things that, that magnified the culture we wanted, and we ignored things that pulled down that culture. And probably the proudest moment of my life coaching basketball that's one page you know I'm a, I'm a male I put my boxes in my basketball box last year the yearbook staff said to my four graduating grade 12s we want you to write something about what it means to be a senior lady Mustang basketball player this is what they wrote being a senior lady Mustang basketball player is about more than just playing basketball it's about being part of a team that never gives less than their best that part that lifts everyone else up that part that ignores the stupid refs, that part that digs deeper, the beating heart of the team. Playing basketball at Hope Secondary School is about changing culture and building character. It has brought out the best in us and made us who we are, the ones who never give in, no matter how hard it gets or how impossible it seems. We will never forget those we've played with and the memories we've made. We are small, but we are mighty. And I love that because you know what? Their culture changed, and I can see it because they come into practice and they, they try harder. The culture's different. Well, why am I telling you all that? What's that got to do with the Trinity? The Trinity has a culture. The way the Trinity operates, the norm, the way the Trinity views it, it's self-giving love. The Father gives himself to us in the beauty of creation. The Son gives his life for the creation, us included, to be reunited to the Father. And the Spirit gives himself to connect us to the Father and the Spirit. They give. They're constantly giving in love to each other and to us. That's the culture of the Trinity. 
pouring out for one another. And as we move into that, we become shaped that way and our lives become self-giving love because that's just what we do. That's who we're connected with. That's our culture. Paul prays in Ephesians, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know what Paul's saying there? I want you to know the culture of self-giving love that's bigger than you can imagine. You can pour out your life all you want and there's still more love to give. That's the culture of the Trinity. And if your love isn't growing for the world around you, you're not drawing from that life. The second thing that happens as we sit there, rooted in this idea of fellowship of koinonia, is we are welcomed into participation in the divine nature. See, that's what I've been saying all along. It's, it's not just a concept. It's actually experiential and participatory. One, another verse that I come back to over and over, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, His divine power has given us, past tense, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, through our knowing, that's an experiential knowledge is the Greek word, of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through Him He's given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Guess what the Greek word is there? Koinonia. You may fellowship, you may participate in the divine nature. And... Escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Remember the dark trinity from a week or so ago. What he's saying is as you sit at the table and start drawing that life, that darkness actually becomes less. Sin is less a draw. It begins to change us. We, we love each other. We are transformed by this very interaction with God on a very deep spiritual level to desire the things of God and to reject the things that aren't of God. Look at the end of verse 17 in chapter 4. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. You get that? When you're sitting at the table, in this world, you actually begin to act like Jesus does. How's that happen? I don't know. That's why to me, we have to begin to open our eyes to this or open our minds to this concept that it's not just what you know, it's actually something flowing through you. In, in my own prayer life, I, I, I say way less than I used to say when I pray. Because I've learned over however many years I've been a Christian, well, definitely over 20 years of being a pastor, I don't have a clue what I need. You know? I don't have a clue what I need to grow spiritually, what, what I need in my life. I've learned so many times that the things I didn't want were the things that actually shaped me. The things I did want actually destroyed me. So the more I pray out loud, the more I realize, what am I, why don't I just shut up and let God do something? And I've got this image in my head. I've told somebody this, that it's, it's kind of like you're going to the Jiffy Lube and getting your oil changed. You pull in, you pop the hood, and they tinker inside, and they do their stuff. Right? I know how to change oil, but a lot of stuff in there, I don't know what they're doing. I pull into a mechanic and pop the hood. I have no clue what they're doing. They're fixing it. And, they, and that's for me prayer. I pull in. I say, God, I'm here. You're here. Boom, work. Do something. And I just sit there. I don't know what to say, but you know, he knows what I need. As long as I'm trusting in his presence, he's going to do stuff in me. He's going to bring that life into me. If, if my spiritual life was up to what I understood I needed, I'd be hooped. But the beauty thing is, I can just put myself at that table and let God do what he needs to in me. 
And then let's see at the end of the text, and we'll finally close. The fruit of love is ministry. Now, ministry, the word ministry, the Greek word for, for that is, is diakonos or diakonia, and it's the same word we use for service, deacon. But, but we so often get it the other way around. We think, I'm going to serve God to show him I love him and to receive love from him. I'll do ministry for others, and I'll love them, and that will show love to God, and it does. But, but the point that he's staying here is that when we actually love, ministry happens. Service happens. When we're sitting at the table, when we receive the love of God, the only response because that's the culture, is that we're going to give ourselves in love to others. You know when Jesus reinstated Peter? I've heard this preached on so many times. You know, he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times he calls him to ministry. But before every one of those, what does he say to Peter? It's on the screen, I think. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? More than these. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Once again, feed my lambs. When Jesus calls us to ministry, the first step is love. And we, where does love start? It starts with God. So yes, God loves us, we love God, and ministry flows out of that. That's the start of everything. This participation in the divine life, this culture of self-giving and surrendering love, when you start to live in that, you are transformed. You're different. Because everything that you're carrying, that you're ashamed of, you're loved in spite of that. Everything that, that we've talked about, this all throughout John, every Sunday, there, there's this stuff that we carry that we just think, God could never love that. And God says, I do. And once we let him love it, it kind of dissipates. And that type of love transforms us. It makes us different. And it, it calls us to, to love the world, to know the love of God and to rely on it. And then we love because he first loved us. That's what happens. This, this self-giving love, we become into it and we're shaped by it. We participate in the divine life. And all of a sudden, out of that, just flows in the normal flow of life. You love people differently. You serve people differently. You point people to Jesus differently. Because why? Because the divine life's in you doing it. That, that's what John's, John says. We write this because we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And we want you to have that fellowship too. Because that is what energizes and mobilizes a life of a believer. Let's pray. God, this is so unique to talk about. And I just pray you could help us experience it, that we would not just think of the Trinity as a concept or something we try to navigate theologically or something that we learn the right things to say about it, but that we could actually sit down at the table with you, receive your love in our deepest, darkest places, that we could remember that love starts with you. And as we receive that love, that, that it would well up in us, that this divine life and power and transformation would begin to shape our day-to-day -day life, make us less drawn to the things that would hurt or destroy and more drawn to the things that would build up and encourage. And God, help your love to us, to flow through us in ministry to the world around us. The world is longing for a love that will love them despite their brokenness and their failures. 
And you have placed us here as your body in this town in a time when, when the town is hurting and longing to be loved and brought into a table fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to live as people who do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't do it so much anymore, but I, I can remember going through a phase where I would come and I would see them and I, I, had this same, I would say to them, who loves you, baby? And they would say, you do, Dad. And I, I think what I want you to hear out of this sermon is it, as you're walking through life and you make a mistake and you're ashamed, whatever, I want you to hear God saying, who loves you, baby? You do. Okay, come to the table. We're, we're going to get this. That, that, that's the way I want you to come to know, as it says in the text, and rely on the love of God. Because that will change not only your life, but the life of everybody else around you. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen.